Well, again, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, as I mentioned already, I forgot to announce last week that Brother Houston will be preaching, but uh, Brother Houston will be preaching today. So I uh, kind of with with Brother Houston, he mentioned earlier that you know he's he he knows what I go through. I I oftentimes mention that I, I get to this place and I I. Sometimes I'm just not sure where it is I need to go or, or what it is that I need to focus on, but the Lord is faithful. That much I do know. I want to, uh, let me just bring out one passage of Scripture this morning that I think sort of covers that. Second Timothy chapter 3 of course, First and Second Timothy, two of my favorite of the pastoral epistles. We call them pastoral epistles because um, it is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to a young preacher, instructing him in uh, in how to be a better preacher, instructing him in um, how it is that that God would have him preach the things that God would have him preach. Um, there's several admonitions in, in both 1st and 2nd. Of course, in 1st in Timothy, we get our uh, uh, sort of the, the qualifications to be uh, an overseer or a, 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 to fill the office of the bishop or uh, an elder. 2nd Timothy is a little more focused on the actual application I, I really like the the analogies that Paul uses. Paul compares this to a warfare, this thing that we do, this life that we live. It's a warfare, and, and we are soldiers in the Lord's army. That's where we are. But Paul explains to Timothy about the process of preachers and preaching. And he says, uh, I'll just read this before I read the, that verse that I had there in the third chapter. In the second chapter, he says, uh, this is the process for, I think, preachers continuing on. He's, he's made, the Lord has come up with a process for the preservation of preaching right doctrine. Here's how it works. It's not, I, I don't think it's the, um, the method that most people think that the way preaching works. But he says, uh, verse 1 of the second chapter, he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. And see, here is how preachers are brought up. They're brought up under the preaching of sound doctrine. <laughs> that, that from one preacher to another preacher to another. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, not, you know, not often uh, a classroom. Now, of course, that might fit, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about preaching, preaching, regular preaching, preaching the gospel. Holy Spirit-inspired preaching, the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. 
I mean, that's the process, the process of preaching. Now, what what is it that we preach? Oftentimes, again, I, we, we have difficulty as a preacher. One of the hardest things about being a preacher is, is well, what am I going to preach on? We joke often, that, and I don't know why we have difficulty. We got a, a whole book here, a whole book. Well, Second Timothy, chapter three, the Apostle Paul sort of expounds on that. This is what I had on my mind. He says in verse sixteen, he says, "All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God, and not just part of it." But every bit of it. Now, notice what he said, though. It's given by the inspiration of God. Now, you can pick any scripture in this entire book, and as long as you rightly divide that scripture, you can be certain that it was given by the inspiration of God. Now, oftentimes we have scripture that teaches us about where we've gone wrong. It gives us pictures of, of our of, of our errors oftentimes. But even in that, it's given by the inspiration of God. Now, listen to what it's for. He says uh, it is profitable. Now it's not just uh, it's not just good for the hearing. It's not just good for uh, making new preachers, okay? Not, that's, that's not the, the only purpose of Scripture, just to make new preachers so they can stand and you know, wax long on a subject. But he says all of Scripture is inspired of God. He says it's profitable for a few things here. It is profitable for doctrine. That is our, that is our the things we teach. We don't need to get it from anywhere else. Sometimes as, as, as preachers we joke about when we hear a subject that seems foreign and, and we say, but where did that come from? Uh, the, we say, well, it must have came from out of the Bible because it certainly wasn't in it. We want to get our doctrine from Scripture. Genesis to Revelation, from Scripture. He says, for reproof. That is for, it's like a mirror. It's for comparison. It's our measuring stick, our measuring rod. When we, when we look at where we're going, we don't, and scripture talks about this occasionally. It says, you know, we uh, like to compare ourselves to ourselves and among ourselves. Wrong standard. Wrong standard. Our standard, our standard of living is scripture. Scripture teaches us our standards. He says for correction. So not only does it teach us our standards, but it teaches us all of those things that uh, when we go wrong, it shows us how to get back on the right path. I mean, there is a right path. There is a straight and narrow way. I mean, it doesn't lead us to heaven, but it shows us how it is we get there. And it shows us how it is we ought to behave as we're going. Doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. One of my favorite passages in Scripture I have a lot. I have a lot of favorite passages. One of my favorite is the the little short passage about Enoch. There's a little mention about a man named Enoch. And uh, he, let me just see if uh, I can get to it quickly. 
passage is actually in the in book of Genesis that I'm thinking of, but I want to read this one in the book of Hebrews because the writer here reemphasizes uh, what what was said about Enoch. Remember what Paul says the scripture is good for. Uh, doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. By faith, Enoch was translated. Now, what does translated mean? It means in, in the book of Genesis, it just gives us the, the, the frank statement. God took him. It says he was not. Why? Why was he not? Because God took him. It means God took him home. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. Why? Because before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, I can't imagine anything in the world. I mean, we all, I mean, we seek. We seek to feel good. We seek to, to enjoy life. We seek to, we want, we want a good life. Nobody wants a bad life. Nobody wants trouble. Well, scripture gives us the answer to that. Live righteously. And how do we do that? Well, we don't know any other way to live righteously other than the instructions that we have in Scripture. And that's what Scripture's good for. Now, I don't know where Brother Houston's going today, but I know it's going to come from this book. And I know that whatever it is, It'll be profitable to us. Let's uh, bow with me and I'll ask the Lord to, to direct us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this opportunity that we have that we might come together, Lord, that we might sing praises to your name. And Lord, that we might look into a portion of your word, Lord, that we might know those things that are pleasing to you. Lord, not in order to be able to go to heaven because we do those things. But Lord, we do those things because we are going to heaven. Lord, because we are yours. Because our eyes have been opened, our ears have been opened. Father, that our hearts have been softened in a way that we desire to please you. Father, we ask that uh, you would just be with all of these that we mentioned this morning. Father, there's so many that we know that are sick and hurting. So many of ours uh, that are away from us, Lord. Lord, we ask that you might restore them to us, Lord. Father, and for uh, this time as we look into your word, Lord, we pray that these things that have been spoken already have been profitable and useful to us, Lord, that we can think on these things. And Lord, as Brother Houston stands, Lord, we pray that you would just lift him up above himself, Lord. Father, we know he's preached the gospel for many years, Lord. This is a new day. And Lord, every time we stand to preach the gospel, we stand in need of you. Lord, please just fill him, fill him with your spirit, Lord. Fill him, fill him to overflowing, Lord, that we might hear those things that are right and good. Father, those things that are helpful to us. Lord, just give him an unction from on high, Lord, that he might preach those things that, that we stand in need of. But Lord, mostly, that they might be honored in your holy name. Lord, please forgive us. Go with us, Lord. Grant us the things we stand in need of. For it's in Christ's name we pray these things and for his sake. Amen. I told Brother David, I said, well, I'm in the same boat that he is on Sunday morning because it's, it's an unusual thing uh, for a man, just an ordinary man, 
to be uh, called to preaching the gospel. And, and if he is, he has to have special attention from God. And actually, that special attention is such that even though many times we want to tell our loved ones or someone else what our feelings are, there is no way under the sun that anybody could ever tell exactly what it's like to be called to be responsible for the Word of God. So I try to pray for Brother David and all the other ministers that come. I know what it's like. Now you pray for me. I'm I'm in a situation this morning to where that I have a divided mind. Now, and, and so when I'm talking, if it sounds like I'm talking about two different things, <laughs> you just ignore it and try to put it put it together. But what Brother David mentioned about the scriptures is, in, of course, anything in this Bible is in harmony with all the rest of it. There is no such thing as disharmony or discord in the Scriptures. If that were the case, we'd have to say that God is not omnipotent. Neither would He be omniscient. He wouldn't know everything, wouldn't have the power to do everything. But He does. So He kept this Word for us the way He would have us to have it. Now, I'm going to start out one of the places that's on, that's on my mind and then and talk a little bit. In, in the Gospel of Matthew, no, I beg your pardon, in the Gospel of John and in the uh, fifth chapter, you know, the, the, the Savior, let me just give you, you, you can read up to... Uh, the 39th verse if you want to, but just let me give you two of the primary things that the Jews were really after the Savior on the, at that particular time. They are actually, of course, trying to kill him, and they had been doing that ever since he was actually in the world. The devil, I guess, was the one that was the author of all that because he's the one that uh, sent Herod down but Jesus came in the world, of course, uh, demonstrating that he was the Son of God. Now then, on a particular day, he healed a man that was uh, impotent. He, he, didn't, he couldn't walk, he couldn't do whatever. Now, in this, in this particular case, uh, it was on the Sabbath day. The Jewish law said that anyone that did anything, even picked up two sticks, as one person had done, then they forfeited their life. It was a death penalty thing to do anything on the Sabbath day, according to the Jews. Jesus healed the man on, on the Sabbath day. You know, he went up and told him to take up his bed and walk. Well, 
<laughs> when they got down to the matter and inquired, they found out that it was Jesus that had that had healed him. He didn't know to begin with, but later on he encountered the Savior and he recognized him and he said, well, then this man Jesus is the one to heal me. Well, then they, they were really after him. And when they confronted him, he said, you know, I can do nothing except what I've seen of the Father. I, I see what the Father does and I do the same thing. Well, then they had two two cases against him. First of all, he had broken the law and it carried a death penalty. Secondly, he had claimed he was he was God because he claimed to be the Son of God. And they they believed that there that and a three in one God, as far as I know it. Uh, maybe am I right about that, Brother David? All right. Now so here is a situation where that that uh, the, the, the Savior has done two things, and they they wanted to kill him. But now, what I wanted to do uh, uh, is uh, is read the 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 thirty ninth verse. Well, let's let's start thirty seventh verse. And the Father Himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard His voice at any time, nor seen His shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent him ye believe not. Now here's what I want. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Now. What I wanted to do now was to, to go back and, and see if we can find some of the scriptures that actually testify. No one had ever heard the name of Jesus until the first chapter of, of Matthew. I think that's right. No one knew what his name was. He is described. I don't know how long, how loud I'm talking. He is described in many different ways in the Old Testament. And I want to just look some of those things and see if the Jews should have recognized him by the fact of the things that he did. You know, in the conversation in the Garden of Eden, you know, the Lord said uh, to Satan, he said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It, the enmity, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. Well, that's the first, first mention of someone that's going to bruise Satan's head. But it's a, it, it's, it's not real clear who he's talking about here. It's not time to reveal exactly who it is he's talking about. Now then, well, you just many, many different uh, places where you may speak of, but let's go over to, to Genesis 49 and 10, and it says this, the scepter, symbol of authority, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. Who is Shiloh? Shiloh is, is, is the messenger of peace. That's what the word means as far as I can understand. It means peace. And he said the scepter, the, the, the authority, the ruler, the, the omni, omnipotent God, the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh come. What does that tell us? That whoever this person was 
that was talked about in Genesis and the conversation is going to come out of the tribe of Judah. Now then, you know, let's, let's go over, say, to the 18th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. And Moses told, uh, about the sixth verse, Moses told the children of Israel, he said, the Lord himself shall raise uh, up, uh, 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 I forget what term he used, uh, a ruler, he says, like a, a governor, I believe is what he said, like unto myself. And he says, him shall you hear in all things. That's a, that's basically the essence of it. Not, that's not the, I believe it's, it's Deuteronomy 8, 18 and 6. And, and then you, you come just into various and sundry, uh, scriptures all the way through the Bible. But we get down, the further we come down the, the, the scriptures, the more information we get about who this person is that was mentioned in the Garden of Eden. Now, let's come on over uh, to the seventh chapter of the, prop, of the book of Isaiah. And, you know, it says here that this person is going to be born of a virgin. A virgin shall conceive, it says, you know, and, and this person will be born of that virgin. Skip over two chapters to the ninth a chapter of that, and he says, unto us a child is born. So, you know, it's going to be a child. Of course, he's going to, that tells us he's going to come in a human form. And a child, unto us a child is born. Unto us, watch this, a son is given. In, in, in his name. Now we're going to get a little closer to his name. But he's still not going to tell exactly who he was. And he said, his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, uh, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, no, the Prince of Peace, and the Everlasting Father. So here are descriptive terms. And the Jews had all of this information all the way down through the ages. Oh, many, many different places. Uh, he is, is is described, and then uh, when we when we finally get on over to the uh, to the New Testament, and I'm going to just skip from there on over because there's enough detail about him, even in the prophecy of Isaiah. He's called the branch, a branch of David, branch out of David, and and then uh, whenever we get to the New Testament. Then the first thing that is given us in the New Testament is some more information about who this is that the Jews were rejecting. He says, uh, he says this. He said, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, that's in the first part of the first chapter of Matthew. We get to Matthew 1 and about 21, and we find there that the prophecy that was given us in the seventh chapter of Isaiah is now becoming fulfilled. We, we, we knew that it was going to be a, a, a virgin that would conceive. We also knew it was going to come out of the tribe of Judah, you know, but now then it's revealed 
to, to Joseph, uh, who, uh, who was hunt, uh, Mary's husband. He has, uh, Joseph is never described in the Bible as, as the father of the Savior. You know, he's, he's talking about, they, he talks about the fact of being Mary's husband. But anyhow, now then, she is there betrothed, and it says, uh, uh, before they came together, she was found to be with child. Now, here's another thing. The law of Moses, in the strict sense, without any mercy, would have directed that uh, uh, that Joseph could have taken her out to the valley of Achor and had the group to stone her to death. Moses' law, you know, they had just made that thing so ridiculous it didn't have, uh, there was no mercy in the law whatsoever. But then the the angel said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son. Now then, isn't that what Isaiah said? Unto us a son is given. She shall bring forth the son, thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's the first time that his name has been identified in that particular fashion. His name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now then, the Jews knew every bit of this. They knew all of it. They had, they had it, had it in the law. But, and I don't know, uh, Brother David, I have no idea in my own mind why it was such uh, uh, that they despised him so, except the fact that they had added so much stuff to the law of Moses, they have, have, had actually made it of none effect. And Jesus came along and started correcting the stuff that they had had. Uh, uh, misapplied in the law of Moses. Now then, uh, but uh, suffice it to say, go through all the situation and, and come to the time whenever that he's about to be tried. And he says here, before he it came to that point, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. Everything from Genesis to Revelation centers on one individual, Jesus of Nazareth, and, and him and him alone, and as the Lamb of God, and as the one uh, who was going to adjust all of the things that needed to be adjusted in God's kingdom. You know, and, and I'm not proposing to try to tell you what all that is, but uh, then we we have our have him uh, coming to the time when he's he's about to be uh, crucified. They have denied him and denied him and denied him. But he he said, "You people think that in keeping the, the tenets of the law, that you uh, gain eternal life through that." Well, you know what? That's not any different, really than what we have going on today, is it? Not really. It's the same story that's always been. Because today, the people that claim to be teaching amazing grace will tell you this. 
if you do this and this and this, then you will become a child of God. Now, how in the world can anybody with any kind of, of, of belief of the truth uh, accept something that denies the power of God and denies uh, 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 that that man is a corrupt sinner and that he is totally dead in sin. And and whenever that uh, the apostle was talking about this in the book of Ephesians, the second chapter, he said, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, and he said, among whom we all had our conversation in time past, and the lusts of our flesh, uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now, I, right here, my friends, that particular one scripture would be enough to bury all this notion that the Jews had about keeping the law to get eternal life, that one scripture would 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 send it uh, away because he said, and you hath he quickened who were dead. Now then, uh, whenever that we come to just many, many, many different scriptures, uh, let me just give you as apostle Peter spoke about what it was really that uh, that did uh, deliver us and and over first peter 1 and 18 <clears throat> he said far as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot now he didn't say you were not redeemed because you were redeemed. And the Redeemer was spoken of all the way back, uh, and, and, and he was, he was, uh, oh, given in, in prospect in the deliverance of the children of Israel out of Egypt and other places. But, uh, the, he, the Redeemer is actually spoken of in specific terms in the prophecy of Isaiah. Now, but it is not silver and gold that redeemed you and I uh, uh, from the cor- corruption of the law. Right. You know, oh, I believe it's in the ninth chapter of Hebrews, about the 26th verse. He says, you know, he's talking about the high priest of God. He said the high priest used to have to, to go into the, the holy of holies, uh, you know, over and over and over again. They never could quit. Two things. If the high priest went into the Holy of Holies with blood and he spilled the blood, he died immediately. A new priest had to go. And no, it, it was shielded off from the world. You know. But the scripture says, uh, concerning our Savior, watch this, he says, but now, once, instead of every year, every year, every year, every day, every day, 
Now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. In other words, when the Savior did it once, we got a thing on TV. I see now this thing, guy advertising this. We do it once and we do it right. But I guarantee you one thing, the Savior did it once and he did it right. You know, and now, uh, uh, I, 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 uh, something here that, that I just almost got chills when I, when I read this because I had never seen what I was going to talk, tell you about, uh, and, and the, the sacrifice of our Lord, uh, until now. And it's just so simple. I imagine Brother David and maybe others had done, had seen it years ago. When Jesus died upon, or was on the cross, he cried out two different things. He said, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This was, you know, repeat, was given in the 22nd Psalm many, many, many generations before he was ever born in this world. He cried that out. They said, well, he's calling for Elias. Elijah, <laughs> I guess. And then, so at any rate, but then later on he cried out one more time. That was all. And when he cried out the second time, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now here's something that happened that ought to have signified to every Jew that was on the face of the earth that this was indeed the Son of God, the Lamb of God uh, that had been given to take away yours and my sins. You know, it says that the veil in the temple was rent from top, and no, rent in twain too from top to bottom. Why was it from top to bottom? I've been trying to preach for I don't know how many years and it never occurred to me until recently why it was from top to bottom. A man could not have torn that thing. It was woven such that it had no seams and, it had, and no man of any strength whatsoever could have torn it. But if he could have, what would we have had? Nothing. But whenever it was done from top to bottom, it meant one thing. God was the one uh, that signified that the whole thing was all over with. That Jesus had paid the price. When he said, it is finished and the veil was rent from top to bottom, it meant exactly what it said. And the Jews uh, should have known that. You know, but they didn't, they didn't yeah, recognize it. I'm going to tell you this. There are many, many things. And, and, and the reason why that I've been thinking about these things, I think the scriptures, as Brother David would mention earlier, it talks about, uh, in, in Timothy and other, and Thessalonians and other places about how things, evil men and seducers are wax worse and worse. I don't want to be the bearer of ba bad news, but not all the news in the world, of course, is good. But I can tell you this one thing, you know, as so far as the world is concerned and men are concerned, it's going to get worse and worse. Now, 
in so far as yours and my protection from the hand of God, it's going to be the same thing that it's always been because he changes not. And he said that he would take us. You, you cannot have any enemies in this world or any calamities or anything else that will separate you from the love of God and from his gracious and merciful hand. And I'm telling you this, that's the only thing that you and I have to rely upon. Can government take care of us and guarantee us anything from now to the end of time? I don't think so. The way things are going now, you know. Now, I understand this. Good government is a deliverance to people. The Bible says that, you know, good government. But the way things are going now, you know, it's going to be chaos in time. But I can tell you one thing. My Bible says this, that he has his way uh, uh, in the whirlwind. And he knows the tracks uh, of the serpent over the rock. He knows the way of, of the beast in the water, you know. And I guarantee you one thing. He knows where you are day and night. I'm, I'm a believer in the late, later years as things go along that many of the blessings that God had intended for us to have, we miss simply because we don't spend enough time thanking Him and thinking about what He'll do for us and asking Him. You know, I have to confess. I say, Lord, I, I, I just don't even feel quite as spiritual as I once thought, you know, and, and enjoyed. But, but don't, don't, uh, leave me out in the cold to face the things of this world. I want him to be by me all the way through. And I'd like to tell you this. The, the prophet Isaiah said, Thou shalt will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Can you hear that? <laughs> Listen, folks, you are his child. The greatest price that ever has been paid for anything was paid to redeem you and I from uh, the curse of the law and from the sting of death and to give us an inheritance. You hear me? An inheritance with the saints of God, not only in light in this world, but in the world to come. And it said, Peter said, it fades not away, reserved in heaven for you. <clears throat> now, the only thing I wanted you to do was to, just to think about what uh, the, the, the scriptures say concerning our Savior. No, it, 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 sp it spoke of him in positive terms and that he... And, it, and, and, and he summed it all up whenever he told Joseph he shall save his people from their sins. <clears throat> now, whenever the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John uh, spoke <coughs> later on, they spoke of, of a risen Savior as well as one that had been crucified and that he's coming back. 